Hiya, my name is Anna Quigley and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast by Citywide Drugs Crisis Campaign, Untold Stories. Citywide is a network of community organisations across the country, really, that are responding to the impact of drugs in our communities for the last 25 years now. This is a really important time for us in looking at the drugs issue. First of all, because we're finally recognising that the way we approach the drugs issue in Ireland is not working. And we have the Citizens' Assembly set up now by the government to look at how we should change the way we're responding. And obviously we've got the 99 members of the Assembly who are working away, doing really good work in there. But for us, it's really, really important that we're all part of this discussion, that we're all part of this conversation, because this issue, the drugs issue, it affects us all. So on this podcast... You're going to hear from people. They're all people who are active in their communities as a result of their own direct experience around drugs. And that could be that they use drugs themselves, it could be a family member used drugs, or it could be just because they've seen the impact overall that drugs have in their community. And they're all people who want to bring about change as a result of their own experience. So we think these are really important stories. We'd like to really thank the people who are telling us these stories. And the stories that you hear on this podcast, they will be anonymous And that's because the current policy that we have, unfortunately, shame, blame, stigma and criminalisation are all part of that policy. So you'll understand that this can be difficult for people to be identified. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your activism? My activism came from my group in the North Inner City, so I was always around, as you know, the issues within the North Inner City, like right in the heart of it, you know, where all the forced heroin epidemics started and all. And I remember growing up, my dad bringing me out to the marches with the concerned parents against drugs, you know, sitting on his shoulders and thinking, this is bleeding grey. Do you know, <laughs> and screaming pushers out and all, do you know, and not having a clue what it even meant at the time. Just I would have been only about six at that time when that started. And what was that like growing up, seeing that in the community? It was quite new as well back then. We didn't take any notice. We were just kids going along with our parents, you know. I think it was more the parents of the older kids that were more concerned, but I suppose they wrong way as well because they knew we were going to be coming up on these issues were starting to come up in the community. Like the likes of, you'd see people with joints and whatever, but never knew heroin or anything like that, never had a clue what it even meant. As I remember seeing all the parents getting together and them getting really angry about what was going on and all, but never having an understanding of it then. Yeah. When did your understanding start to grow? I think as we got older, we moved from that, like that would have been one of the complexes where it was really badly hit to another part of the North Inner City. And for a while, as a child, you're just playing around and all, but then you start coming into your early teens and all. And by then, I was already starting to dabble in stuff myself. So I think my understanding more came out of curiosity as well, you know, and trying things out and yeah and then tell us about the work you do now I work as community development worker now and like I would have worked with people who use drugs for a few years as well now I just do community development like on whatever issues is coming up at the moment it'd be supposed to be working with people on housing and that but you know with community development people come in then all issues those needs start to start to arise and then you just start to have to work on them in the north in the city, there's a lot of needs. There's always something else that comes up. And the drugs issue is a huge one within that, particularly drug-related intimidation. You know, people coming in, they're terrified to live in their homes or their, chil- their children are getting involved in that. And there's a lot of shame on them yeah. because, like, a lot of parents won't reach out for help because they think that the judgment is going to be put on them, that they must have done something wrong. 
they don't sort of think that people are going to actually understand that it's fairly easy for a young person in that, that community to get wrapped up in it. Like if you're seeing your family struggling, you're afraid to ask your ma for the money for these new runners, all your friends is waiting them, it's very easy for them to get sucked into it. But parents seem to get very shamed by it. Do you know, and they're afraid to reach out for help because of that. And with the work you do, and your own kind of experience just growing up and seeing it as well. Like I don't think a lot of people understand how young kids are actually getting brought into it. And they don't have the understanding to, to know how dangerous it potentially is. Like, what are you seeing in communities through your work? They're getting younger and younger, getting groomed into actually carrying drugs and trafficking drugs and all. And not making excuses for anyone that's actually doing that. A lot of the people that's groomed them into it have also been in that position at one stage. It's always this view of people from these communities, the young people and all as thugs, as this, like you've seen even I, the issue last week, you know, a man getting attacked and all. All this comes from, like, generational poverty. Nothing there for the young people in the community. There's some amazing youth clubs, don't get me wrong, there is, but they're not resourced enough to handle the demand for the work that there is. And with all that experience you have, so you have, you know, your your childhood, your upbringing, your own personal experience, you know, your study as an actual worker. When you look at that intergenerational poverty and trauma, what policies are contributing to that, like on a national level? The Misuse of Drugs Act would be, one f- be the main one, I think, because it creates the conditions for these gangs to exist and to exploit young people. If there was more of a regulation model on drugs, people would have more of an understanding of the issues that that brings. But as well, when you think of all the issues that it does bring, like people taking drugs that they don't know what's in them, so there's a higher risk of them overdosing. Taking drugs that are contaminated with God knows what. I think the Misuse of Drugs Act just really perpetuates that sort of marginalisation that's in them communities. It just doesn't help them at all. I get all these policies are set up to protect communities and all, but they don't affect every community the same. And that's the issue. It's drugs nowadays, especially drugs are across all walks of life. Everyone is using them. Like if you think of years ago when the Misuse of Drugs Act was brought in, it was because we were getting a rising number of people who used drugs. But it was minute compared to now. Do you know, when you look at the level of people who use drugs now compared to back then, say late 60s, 70s, there was very little. So it's complete failure when you think about it like for what it was supposed to do it's supposed to control like it's about drug control but by using these policies you're making them uncontrollable you're making people take drugs that they don't know what they're putting into their body and you use the word protect there like do you think they're protecting your community or my community no no and that's the thing that i think a lot of times they're very contained about keeping People who are living in disadvantaged communities, keeping them where they're at and not really caring as long as it doesn't seep out. Like if you think of all the people who have overdosed and all and Katie French who overdosed now, as like it's horrible to hear of anyone dying in that manner. But that same year, I think there was over 380 deaths that year alone. And nobody made the headlines there wasn't the full force that the police put out to find who had sold them people them drugs. My heart goes out to our family. I'm not in any way dismissing the girl's death. It was horrible. It should be the same for everyone. But when it's people in the communities that we live in and we walk in, they don't get that. Our lives aren't valued the same. Yeah, they're not valued. They're not. And what about specifically women? So particularly women experiencing their own addiction Mm. how is that different for them than for men drugs affect everybody who's taken them especially in a problematic way 
But there's a difference in how women are treated within it. It's like women who use drugs that judge much, much harsher when it comes to stigmatisation. There's just a view put on women that they shouldn't be taking drugs. And then if they're a mother, it's just how dare you. you there's no way you could even care for your child or love your child if you're taking drugs. They're really, really harshly judged. But as well, like when it comes to women who want to get drug free or go into recovery, whatever the form of recovery is, it's very hard for them to do that if there's no services that provide childcare. You see women having to bring their kids to the clinic, things like that. That shouldn't be the part of a child's everyday life. It's okay to bring them if you really need to bring them because women have no choices within it. They have to do it. But it shouldn't be if there was childcare provided and that women be able to achieve much more. And you've mentioned a couple of times now, shame, blame, stigma. How does that impact a woman and even like asking for help? The fear that's there maybe around her kids or how they're going to be treated? A service that I used to work in, it, I remember women coming into that and waiting until their children were 17, 18 before they'd even reach out for help because that fear of children be taken off them. And that's not always going to be the case, but there's that fear of it. Like, because if you think of it, when a woman ends up a methadone or anything, she's automatically registered. Yeah. As And I remember I had an issue with Tusla coming to me, like, and I'd, now I was drug free, everything. It was just an issue that with my ex that they were called, but the fact that I was on methadone, the issue had nothing to do with me. They went, started ringing me doctors, ringing me clinic. Like, I was working in services at the time, no. you know. And that's what they come in. And I'd literally only that week given a presentation about women who use drugs. And then they turned up my door two days later and I'm like, hello. And if people hear that, if other women hear that who maybe don't have the level of understanding or the resources or, or understand how the system works, that someone like you might because you've worked in it. What's that going to do? Like, Are they going to reach out for help? No, they're going to be terrified. They're literally terrified. Like they've seen people, you know where they've had a slip or something and that the child is taken off them and then they end up in that whole situation that they people expect them to jump through hoops to get their children back but the majority of people as i'm sure you know who end up in problematic drug use have experienced huge trauma so then you're going to put that on a mother take her child away just for the fact that she's had a slip instead of working with her instead of doing everything you can to try and keep that family together they end up then slipping even further so it's very hard to come out of that. And then for many, they do end up in homelessness and all. They lose the home, the whole lot. And then when it comes to them, actually, even if they do get the supports and they are walking towards getting, you know, getting the family back together. If they're living in homeless accommodation then and they have two or three children, whereas they were probably in a three bedroom house, three bedroom flat, they no longer fit the criteria to get to be entitled to, you know, apply for three bedroom flat because they haven't got their children with them. Yeah. But then they're not allowed to get their children unless they have a home and stability for the child. It's just ridiculous. And even, again, it's back to state policy actually preventing parents being able to parent. And it's actually getting in the way of human rights. In that as well, there's an additional context there, isn't there, around domestic violence and abuse. And actually, women can often be dismissed if they have addictions in that, can't they? Yeah, they can be made feel like they're complicit victims. You know, it's that idea of, well, they're arguing over drugs. And as well as that, there's also the part that where a lot of women, if they are going through that, they may not pick up the phone and ring the police because they're terrified that they're going to end up being in trouble because of it. So there's not enough support. Some guards are absolutely brilliant. There are guards that do work really well in it, but unfortunately not enough.
it just doesn't make sense to me to not use decriminalisation process. Now, I would go forward and say regulation, but for the decriminalisation part, like you're talking to people, as I said, about the trauma piece, and then they're using drugs to get through that trauma. They pick up a charge, they're being convicted because they have trauma. When you peel it all back, it's like you're basically criminalising trauma. The impact that ends up having on someone's life, like if you consider like someone does go into recovery and they go do all this great work, go through college, the whole lot and all, and then they go to get a job. And if it's a job that requires guard eventing, in most places are going to look at guard eventing, they'll see a drug possession charge and they're not going to turn around and say, oh, hang on, we called them, we asked them what it is. You might get some places that do, but I'd say the majority won't. Unless you know people in that organisation that actually know you and know that there's a chance this could be for your own personal use, people are just going to assume that it's a drug conviction because it doesn't state the amount on it. And so it just puts further barriers for people's lives. So that CV is just going to be put aside anyway. You expect people to, does this view, you know, when people who don't understand the addiction side of things, they think that people can just stop using drugs like that and get on with their lives and make it better for everyone, you know. And it's unrealistic. Back to that containment policy. Yeah. yeah. Because it's areas like ours that, that Mount Joy is full of enough. as well. Exactly. You know, if you go yeah. into Mount Joy, you go into any of the prisons, it's in you, you have a look through the postcodes. It's predominantly area like. The breadth of experience you have there, obviously, you know, you've touched on growing up, your own lived experience, you know, like your study, your work, you're just again living in the community. Why do you do what you do? Because it is traumatic work. You're you're having to deal with people's trauma day in, day out with sometimes very little supports and the frustration of the lack of state action. Why do you do it? Do you know, I ask myself that question sometimes, I'll be honest with you. I honestly enjoy the book, I'll be honest with you. And I don't know, I think it was good, strong services that supported me and started to get me to sort of look at why... I ended up the way I did. Do you know, like I always just thought, going to be honest, to use, for use of a better word, fuck up. Do you know, and maybe a lot of times that's what society told me I was. And until I started to sort of studying and learning about generational inequality, structural inequality, all them pieces, I always thought that this was on me. And I never saw it peeled it back. I knew, now with this part of a service in the North and I see, I started to realise that my addiction came from trauma that I experienced, which is why, like, I remember even I'm um, going to try out NA and talking about the big book and all, which works brilliant for people. It's just not for me. I remember talking to someone and they were talking about this idea of going through the steps and then me, me making amends and all. And I'm like, that didn't sit with me. Do you know, I was like, what do I have to make amends for? I wouldn't be in this position if someone hadn't have traumatised me. So why should I make amends? Now, don't get me wrong, my family, I've spoke to all them and all, but I think they're the only ones I actually owe it to. You know, because they're the ones who've been there and supported me right through, regardless of what was yeah. going on. Not every programme or every approach has self-compassion at the centre of it as well. Yeah. But that's, yeah. And that's insane. Like, so without that understanding, sort of having me getting an idea of where everything came for in my life I wouldn't have went into the work I just want to actually sort of go out and then work with people who because I seen when I went into a service and someone had that understanding like and I knew this idea of walking mile in my shoes they've walked 100 miles in my shoes so I knew when I was talking to them they were really understanding me yeah, yeah. 
Now, there is people who work in the services who may have never touched a drug in their life. They get it. They understand that. And I think you need that balance in services. So that's why I work now. Because a lot of what you do is activism as well. It's not just your paid work. You know, you're involved in so many different things. But even just from a community development perspective, having people with lived experience or people who live in a community around the table, we don't see enough of that all the time. You just touched on it a little bit there, walking mile in my shoes, but why is that important at a national level? Like, what do we need to be doing to make sure that people aren't making decisions for us? It's that whole idea of that power with approach, you know, not just sort of coming in and being dominating, like, we're the, we're the experts. No, the people who are experienced it, they're the real experts, and you need to listen to the voice. And that lived experience piece is huge, but I don't think it's far enough to use lived. I think you have to have living experience as well. People who's actually going through it right now and having their vices at the table. But as well, there's a flip side to that. If you're including people's vices, you're creating the conditions for them to start to feel empowered about themselves as well. So I think the approach of cutting out community vices, which is happening in the North and City, hugely, that approach is not working. The Misuse of Drugs Act, not working. Like we've had over 50 years of failed policies to get rid of a small drug problem that was there at the time. Look at how much the drug problem has grown since then policies come in. And predominantly, as I says, it's in our communities, but the policies itself, the predominantly working class communities that's been really, really affected by it. When you talk there about how you had access to really good services and you had the resources there, a worry I have is that after austerity so many services were cut and I wonder have we lost a generation of particularly women who would have went in on CE schemes who would have came into really good not only addiction services but community services and like voices like yours who has lived experience but also community experience the the academic qualifications the work experience give so much you're bringing to every room and every conversation and have we lost a lot of that? Definitely, since austerity cuts, we've lost a huge part of that, and particularly for women. Because if you think back to 2010, 2011, coming up to CE schemes and all, they were a great way of getting women on the road to that, you know, that sort of getting their foot in the door, starting to get interested in, not even going in and just going to a service and being told what to do, trying to see what their interests are. Whereas they had their lone parents, and then they got a double payment within that. That was taken away with austerity. And that you're complaining the government bill, people not going out to work. And, but yet when they do go to work, they're punished for it. They lose their medical cards. They lose all these little extras that they need. But then on top of that, you're cutting that double payment. So you want people to go and do these C schemes for 20 euros. Should they probably have to pay triple that just to get someone to mind their kids? Because most services don't provide childcare. I remember it was a project in the North in the city that provided childcare. It worked, addressed the issues that the women had and like it was a drug service but very little focus was on going in and talking about your drug use, talking about and it was all about personal development. Do you know like how, what are you interested in and trying to, do you know, accommodate the women to build on their own skills but on what they're actually interested in. Back then, there was that double payment as well in it, and that's all gone. And I think with community development projects now, I know the community development programme that they're doing now, they need to start also looking at that CE piece where they can get women in the door and get a foot into education if that's what they want, get a foot into employment if that's what they want, but encourage it. 
at the moment it's not being encouraged and there's no incentive for women. And we need to be going right down to root causes, poverty, don't we? Yeah, like what's actually trapping people at home. In that community development piece, looking around, because I look at my community and I just see the potential and what people are doing despite, in spite of what's been done to our communities. What would you love to see happening? your community or, or any of the communities you work in right now? What could make a massive difference right now? I think first funding into the communities, like proper funding into the communities, but create things for the young people to do. Because at the moment, there's not a lot for them to do. And it's not that they just want to hang around corners and they want to cause trouble and they want to do this. There's nothing else for them. So really invest in the communities, but work with young people and with women and see what their interests are. Don't just provide something so you can tick a box and say, well, we've put funding in there, yippee Like, really, really invest in them. There's no point throwing a bit of money on it unless you're going to follow through to ensure that there's proper outcomes at the end of it. Not that you've got X amount of people in the door. Yeah. What have you done with them? Yeah. Have you started a road for them people to actually go and achieve something on their own after it? You, you touched on there as well, you know, whatever recovery means to somebody. What does recovery mean to you? Recovery to me is actually just making that sort of choice for yourself, you know, to change something in your life. Like there's so many, I think there's a huge narrative and agenda being pushed now on an abstinence-based recovery. In recovery sort of models, there's abstinence-based recovery where people get completely drug-free, never drink in their life, never take any drugs the rest of their life, but can be quite harshly judged if they need to take mental health medication or anything and sometimes can even put their own mental health in jeopardy because they get so sucked into abstinence-based approach that they feel that if they take their medication that they're failing. And I think when we push that narrative it can be quite dangerous and it can set a lot of people up for failure. But for me, um, recovery is just not making them changes to change their life. Like even if it's just picking up the phone, you know, I've had enough of this, I want to get a bit of support even if that means that you're just cutting down on what you're using, but you're making positive changes for yourself. Do you know that will help you in the future and your family? Harm reduction piece focused, because recovery's on an abstinence level. It's not for everyone. And in terms of how that feeds into policy, like national policy, you know, why is harm reduction so important even in the services that we're providing? It saves lives. Like, if you look at, like, even we haven't got a safer injection facility open yet, but if you look at the lives that have been lost since that was supposed to open yeah. how many years ago. And why is that so important? Like, tell people, like, what would that do? What what difference would that actually make having... And I'd go a step further and I'd be talking about consumption rooms as well, beyond... It was called Safe Injection Facility at the start, but it should be for anyone to use drugs, regardless what that drug is and regardless of what route of drug. Because I think to have it as a consumption room, yeah, I think to have it as a consumption room, it'll break down a lot of stigma as well because there's a lot of hierarchies within drug use, you know, like I remember years ago it was gas conversations. Um you'd see arguments now and someone I hate the word, the J word, I'm not gonna use the whole one. But um people would be calling other standards like, you take drugs yourself, Jeremy. Now I have a few lines of coke. You're a crackhead. And I'm like, it's the same drug. Yeah. It's just a different route to take and but like you see it within even people who use heroin. People, well at least I only smoke it. It's the same drug. Yeah, like I don't. I'd never. I'm not in any way ever advocating that drugs are good. Yeah. I'm not. But people are going to use drugs regardless of whether they're good for you or not. So with harm reduction approaches such as a consumption realm, people can go into them, use them safely, 
if someone happens to overdose, you've trained professionals on hand with naloxone and all. But the biggest part about it is that there's a huge sort of narrative that you're enabling people to use drugs. That's true, you are. But you're enabling them to use them in a safe way. But you're also putting them, like them services are usually putting services where everything else is on hand. You have a methadone clinic there. You have access to safe using equipment. You have support services. If you can get people's foot in the door, sometimes a lot of the people that turn up our consumption room may not be people who'd normally reach out to services. So if they're only coming in to use drugs and they happen to start talking to some of the staff, start linking in, that's a win. Do you know? And that's not seen. It's just seen as something that you're going to enable people to use drugs. I personally think they should be opened in every community, including Dublin 4. A lot of the opposition you hear people are talking about like are the same people who will give out about seeing people using on the street it's like really it is shame and stigma at the root of that isn't it it's shaming people it's the stigma around it and it's I'd love to put it to people why are we doing this because like you said if it is to save lives and make people safer yeah exactly and Anya what you said there about like seeing people around the street using even more the reason open the centre services do you know let them go in and use in a safe place because and I do get like the skills where there's consumption rooms they're open I get like the skills like we don't want to see people around that's happening anyway but the children are seeing syringes on the ground the children are seeing this if they're using inside they're not going to see that there's less chance of children being pricked with needles there's less chance of children picking up drugs that someone has left behind so they need to be opened and opened everywhere. I remember over in Glasgow, they were opened in a van, you know, fellow went around in a van opening. And there is, it's safe. If you look at even in all the ones over around the world, there's never been overdoses in them. Like, well, there's been overdoses, but never been fatal overdoses. Now, you know, no deaths within them. Yeah. And we're looking at, obviously we have the Citizens' Assembly happening at the minute. And you'd like to think that our evidences are based on policy and if this is working around the world why aren't we doing it first of all I want to put that question to you why if your community generation after generation is experiencing this and you and so many other people can see the patterns the intergenerational trauma you can see why it's happening why isn't it changing and why aren't decisions being made to change it do you know I think um, (laughs) a lot of times policies are made based on who's voting do you know, and if you look at like the communities where there's a high turnout in votes, working class communities, not so much. Do you know, I think it's got a bit better. I think that has a lot to do with it, you know. And you talk about evidence-based stuff. The evidence shows that the war on drugs has failed. So it's that sort of keep repeating the same patterns. And constantly like, you're going to have the opposition giving out you over these debts here and, you know, but yet you're still pleasing who's voting for you and not thinking of the lives that are being destroyed within. I personally think it won't be until there are Dublin 4 and all these, you know, really affluent areas that when there's starting to be a, a high number of deaths in them or something, that maybe there's something to be done because I think as long as it stays in their communities, it's okay. And it's left up to the community to pick up the pieces, isn't it? Yeah. And what do you see when you look at your community in terms of what it has done and how it protects itself and how it actually does step in and try to address, you know, the issues that are caused by policy? Do you have a sense of hope? Yeah, well, do you know, one thing I can say, like, <clears throat> I know with the Concerned Parents Against Drugs and all back in years ago and then the Coalition of Communities Against Drugs, 
I I always said it's they started off the best of intentions. Now there are people being concerned for their children. Totally understand that. But as with any type of movement like that, there's always going to be people there that are in it for the wrong reasons and they, they make it look worse. They are usually communities though that come together, do you know when? Because you see even if there's any issues now around the north and the sea, they can be quite a fractured communities at times, but when something happens, they always come together. They're quite resilient, I think, communities like that. Everything that's happened, people have had to, like even see the young people in it, they're very resilient within it. People who use drugs, very resilient. And great skills, like if you look at young people that are dealing drugs or whatever, they have great skills, you know what I mean? If you put in saves, no one really tapped into them skills that they had and sort of helped manoeuvre them into a different sort of form of route of making money or whatever, you'd have great little entrepreneurs there. They genuinely are. And I think we need the media to stop labelling them as thugs and for people to start understanding why, because as much as they're probably a bit more understanding now that drugs come from trauma. You know, people who use drugs in a problematic sense come from trauma and poverty and all that stuff and all the inequalities. But there also needs to be an understanding that these young people start dealing drugs out of the same reasons. So, and I think until we start getting people to actually look at that and not just pick up a paper and start rolling their eyes at these again, like, how can they live like that? If you didn't have to live, if you weren't comfortable where you were living, and come into this community, you'd understand it. But if it doesn't affect you, you don't. People don't want to know. Do you know, like they, they're looking in. And a lot of times within their communities, we're contained within. Do you know, there's no understanding of it. And people listening today that maybe don't have an understanding and hopefully when they hear what's happening in communities, they get some understanding and maybe go off, start reading a little bit more or trying to understand a little bit more. What, what can people do? What, what would you like people to do who aren't coming from communities like ours? If anything comes out of the Citizens' Assembly, whether it's decriminalisation, regulation, to actually, and there's a referendum on it, to actually get behind that and vote for it. Because, like, years ago, we never thought people would vote for, to have the Eighth Amendment repealed, and we did. You know, when people start, nobody bothered to try and really get that understanding that it was more about women having rights. Do you know, and it was about protecting women's rights. If you start looking at it with a different lens, sometimes you can start getting a different understanding of it. You'll see in the paper all the time about seizures of drugs getting caught, all this and all. Do you know what I mean? You see that all the time, constantly highlighted. And people are thinking that the police are doing a brilliant job. Like, look at all these drugs they're getting in these communities. That'll keep their community safe if they're being taken from them. But they're not realising that when they're being taken from them, their mother, whoever is responsible for them drugs on that day, their mother is being tormented, their grandparents, everything, windows are being poured in. People are living in absolute terror in the community because of it. They have to pay for it, even, and that's even if that person picks up a charge for it. They still have to make sure that that money is paid for by any means possible. And unfortunately, sometimes it's a weapon being put in a child's hand and being told to go and do something. And we have, and we have policies that are putting young kids in violent situations from a young age and then we're expecting them to make decisions a couple of years down the road to just walk away from To it. walk away, yeah. And for a lot of the young people as well, when they get, get involved in it, they may have fractured families at home and this is a family to them. It's the only safety that they've had. But unfortunately, it doesn't always stay a safe situation for them. Though at the end of the day, it comes from policies. 
that create them conditions. I suppose to even to end on that, the policies we have the Citizens Assembly, we've mentioned it a couple of times. So aside from decrim, what else would you like to see come out of it? What, what, what changes could we actually see from the Citizens Assembly that might have an impact on our communities? I think full on regulation of drugs. And again, I'll go back to the piece that people are going to use drugs regardless. And as long as there's a black market there to exploit, people are using dangerous drugs. It's that piece of like, if you look at alcohol, it's clearly marked on the bottles what's in it, what strength is in it, the whole lot. And I'll always go back to the analogy I use. If I want to have a few drinks on a Thursday night and I'm up, I had a few last night just saying, um, I had a few bottles of Blue Wicker. I wouldn't go on to something stronger because I know I have to get up and do something. Yeah. People will make them same choices if they know what's contained within what they're taking. I think we have to trust people to sort of make good decisions and not just assume that because they're people who use drugs that they're not capable of making them decisions. They're very, very capable if they're given the opportunity to do so. You mentioned earlier on going to those drug marches with your dad when you were younger. And yeah, you still went on and used drugs yourself, as most people do. So what's the experience of that? having gone through that journey in your own community mm. you know what do you think that says to people about how the, the approach we have doesn't work definitely doesn't and I said this before like I've been on my dad's shoulder and that in the marches I was about six but when I was about 20 the knock was at my mother's door to tell her not to have me in the house she didn't take too kindly to her and told him to get away from the door but it did not deter me from using drugs None of the policies deterred me from using drugs. Picking up convictions didn't deter me from using drugs. If anything, it made me use drugs underground and, and in danger. Do you know, it makes people sort of isolate themselves when they're using it because they know they're going to be stigmatised for it. Like, if you think about if someone is caught, they're criminal. Like, as I said earlier, you're criminalising trauma. The most stigmatising thing that you can put on someone is to call them a criminal because it puts up so many barriers to them even having any opportunities in their life. We're just making it worse and worse and worse. Definitely. And most of all, thank you for sharing your story with us today. I'm sure I speak for everybody listening to say that it's been really impactful. And thanks to everybody listening at home. This has been an episode of Untold Stories, an Alfonso Film production on behalf of Citywide Drugs Crisis Campaign. Hosted and produced by me, Claire O'Connor, working with Anna Quigley of Citywide. Graphic design by Ben Clancy. Sound editing by Kieran O'Connor. We want to have these conversations out in the open where they should be had. We want to work towards ending shame, blame, stigma and criminalisation. And we really believe that these conversations are a part of that. So if you haven't, please go and listen to the other four episodes in this series. Share the podcast, talk to your friends, have these conversations and thanks for listening.